First um, Timothy chapter three, verses one to seven. First Timothy chapter three, one to seven. Here is a trustworthy saying: Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect." If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Good morning. I will say it's been said before. Happy Father's Day to the fathers among us. We'll be talking about the reading in a little bit. But what we want to do is to talk about being men from God. And as I start out, I'm going to be a little uncomplimentary about guys. The trouble with guys That's very tempting. And you notice it's the women that laugh? (laughs) So, many don't have any idea of what they need to do or to be. Uh, You know, I basically just kind of lived and functioned and went through all the years of school and college, university. And when I got into the working world, and in high school I had a summer job for three summers in a warehouse and worked with some guys there that were shall we say, not particularly pleasant people. Uh, But then when I got into working in the store after we got out of college, uh, my bosses were really quite uh, despicable characters. I hate to say it, but there were just some dimensions of of their lives. that, And I came to realize in time that they really were adolescents, in grown bodies. Uh, so maleness is often defined by overdoses of testosterone. And so we kind of get the caricature. And, and the little thing I wrote that didn't make it into the, the update uh, for the email, but, you know, it was about, remember, uh, there used to be a show, sitcom called Home Improvement many years ago, Tim the Toolman Taylor who machoed and grunted his way through life. You know, and it seemed like every episode he'd be going, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the episode, the demonstration of his manhood. And, you know, so the, 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 the epitome kind of, or the caricature maybe a better term for it, of the deep voice, physical strength, the aggression, you know, we call it machismo or macho man. And... Uh, you know, through the years, there have been several attempts. Back in the early 70s, Aubrey Angelin published a book called, you know, trying to temper this view. And so he wrote a book called Man of Steel, 
and velvet. The guys needed to be both strong, but also to be gentle and use the word soft. So we want to talk about what it takes to be husbands and fathers. Now, as we start, you know, and you think about all the songs that we've sung, or many of them have talked about God as father. The Bible reveals God, and, you know, God reveals himself in, through the Bible um, as father. And that's an important thing. But one of the things that happens, you know, and over the years as I've typically preached on Father's Day and talked about fathers, um, I've had some people come to me afterward and talk about the fact that they didn't have a father like this, that their father was quite different and Father's Day was not a happy day for them. And I would suggest, you know, that, that many people, and in, that I'm aware of this, are uncomfortable with talking about the father because they've had bad experiences with their own. They've had fathers who were absentee. They were not present, uh, either not present in terms of the fact that they may have been in the family but were not involved with it, or they were long gone, which is unfortunately the case. Uh, abusive, passive, critical, selfish. I mean, you know, the reality is, and from the guys that I, that I worked with in, in the store, I, I, I basically have to suggest that some men are jerks. That's the technical word for it, right? They're unpleasant, they're harsh, they're difficult, they're selfish, they're obnoxious, they're... Uh, you can stop me anytime. <laughs> uh, the, the problem becomes, you know, when we talk about fatherhood, your experience with father, your father, if you had one even present in your life, may have been something that causes you to think of fatherhood as something that is really not pleasant. And what I want to do is to refocus here to God. God is the father everyone needs and wishes that they had. God is a father everyone needs and wishes that they had. And, and you know, you think about that. When we talk about fatherhood, we're talking about the ideal, not the unfortunate reality that many people have. So he calls us to be like him, and we'll be talking about it. So in the Bible, and it's kind of interesting how this works, the Greek word for family comes from the root word for father. And so the Greek words here, patera and patria. So I'll give you an example of a passage here. Come on. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So look at that. Father, patera, family, patria. So the two kind of work together and I think that's one of the reasons why this is a, an ongoing theme or idea in the Bible. So in our family, God wants us to be like him. That's what we mean when we talk about being godly. Being God-like. That we share 
I try to share. And so we show him in our homes and that will be. So I want to raise a question here. All right. What are the qualifications if you want to drive? Well, there's age. There's knowledge. There's experience. You have to pass a written test. You have to pass a road test, assuming that you're old enough. You know, they're not going to give a license to a five-year-old, right? Uh, so there are qualifications for it. What about to get married? Well, actually, to get married legally, you have to be of age. You have to be of sound mind. You have to be not related by blood. Uh, there are qualifications. Now, you don't have to have the same knowledge that you do to, to drive a car. Maybe you should, but... Uh, But there are qualifications. There are many careers and professions that require training and certification and licensing. You don't want your surgeon to not have an education, right? You're assuming certain things about him or her that... They are recognized to be knowledgeable and skillful at what they're doing. You want to go into a building designed by a certified architect. Okay, that said, what are the qualifications to be a father? None. It's purely biological. And I, I've said this sometimes, but anybody, any idiot with an urge can create a child. And I realize that's a pretty harsh way of saying it, but you've lived long enough, as I have lived, that you've seen situations where, where people have parented children that had no business doing that. And that poor child is going to be stuck. But... The Christian father needs to reach a higher level than just merely biology. There needs to be more to us than just being biological fathers. Example, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 6, verse 4. A passage that most of us are familiar with. Paul says, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the older translations will, will use a different word here, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Okay, so exasperate. Some of the translations will say, don't provoke your children to anger. Well, you know what? You have to understand what Paul is saying here, because let's face it, when a parent tells a child no... I'm not going to let you play with that shiny knife. It's going to be, you know, a little child is not going to understand, and they may get really angry. That's not what Paul's talking about. This is an ongoing, uh, and so it's 
bringing the child to outbursts of anger, uncontrolled rage. In other words, it's really pushing them to the limits. It's not just some of those things that need to happen. So, so don't exasperate your children, but to bring them up. And I, I like one source that suggested that the expression here, you should understand it as nourish to maturity. You know, bringing up is nourishing. That is, being part of the process, not just of their physical growth, but their emotional, mental, spiritual growth. So, training in the training. Now, some of the old translations said in the discipline. And a lot of guys took that to mean it was their role to knock their kids around. No, that is not discipline. Discipline is training. And again, one of the sources that I was looking at suggested Christian character training. See, if we're helping them to mature, we're helping them to develop character. When Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, what the writer of Proverbs is, is telling us is that parents, fathers have a responsibility in the shaping of their children. And when their children get older, they will bear that shaping. Uh, uh, then instruction. And the word instruction here comes from a word that means Mind. So it's shaping of the mind. It is that idea of properly setting the mind. So you think about what he's saying is then uh, don't, don't drive them to anger and rage, but to nourish them, train their character, and shape their mind. That's a sobering responsibility, isn't it? Malachi, in the Old Testament, referred to, you know, talking about the broken marriages of Israel, said that in marriage, God was desiring godly offspring. And if you think about it, that really was in the Old Testament kind of the equivalent of what we're talking about for Christianity in the New Testament. The shaping of a, of a child's life to become a child of God as an adult. Now, it was worded... Uh, in a, in a way that we'll be talking about in just a minute. But I, I want us to think about and understand that as Christians, our first ministry is in our families. Gordon MacDonald, in the early 70s, published a book that I just really love called The Effective Father. And uh, I have over the years, have done many lessons based on, on some of his ideas. But there's two ideas that he has in there that I really kind of... Uh, number one, he uses the picture of a race car. And if you ever watch a race like the uh, uh, like Daytona or the Indianapolis 500, you see all the cars get lined up on the track. And then there is a pace car that goes out in front of them, and they drive around the track sometimes several times, kind of in formation. And the pace car is setting the pace, uh, and, and each time will be speeding up a little bit until it reaches the point that pulls off out of the way and lets the race cars go on. You know, and that's a pretty powerful image of parenting. 
that, that the parent, the father, sets the pace at home with the ultimate objective of getting out of the way to let the children run their race. And the other one, and I, I just always love this. Moms, dads, you've seen the, the time where your young children, usually toddler age, a little bit older, get into your closet, get your shoes out, and you come in there and they're wearing your shoes or they're wearing dad's shoes. And you realize they're trying to copy you. They're trying to be like you. That's a, an expression of their admiration and their love for you. And so McDonald suggests something here. Okay, you think about that. Think about the picture of your, your, your child in your shoes. Wear shoes you want filled. Live in a way that your child can follow, can be like you. Our children want to be like mom and dad, don't they? That's their goal. That's their dream. When I grow up, I'm going to be like my daddy. I hope daddy's shoes are worth wearing and filling. We cannot lead where we have not gone. That's one of the most serious things that I always think about is that you want your child to be a believer. You want them to be a Christian. You want them to have a happy home and family. Guess what we need to do? We need to be Christians. We need to be, we need to be believers. We need to be Christians. We, we need to set and have a home as well as a life that's worth copying. You know, the old expression was the hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation. And that's often attributed to Lincoln. Actually, he didn't say that, but it came out about the same time. It was a guy named Wallace. But, and it's talking about mothers, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation. But what about the hands that built the cradle or bought the cradle, worked for it? The influence of a mother is unquestionable, but the influence of a father is, is, is critical as well. So often guys have the idea, you know, and you probably know some guys like this, and maybe you, that my role is to go out and to support the family. So when I come home, I relax, I let my wife take over. Well, fathers need not only to be out there, but also in here, in the family, in the home. You know, you think about all the things that we're talking about there. That's an important part of that. Men are more than providers. They are part of the spiritual leadership of the family. So you're probably wondering why I had the reading as a qualification of elders. Well, I want you to think about it. We're not going to go through the passage other than just to summarize. Elders are to be spiritually mature men, right? It's shown by their spiritual development, their character, and their relationship with their families. Well, how did they get there? Because they were husbands and fathers. They had the right relationship with their family. 
They have wives and believing children, which suggests they're able to teach. That's one of the important qualifications of elders, right? They're able to teach. Well, how did they get that way? From being in the home. Shouldn't all Christian men aspire to the same type of character as the qualifications of the elders? I mean, I've often wondered about that. I, I worked with a congregation many years ago that had been around for like 40 years and had never produced an elder. Why? Christian men should be growing into being that kind of person. And if we're content with less, then it's not surprising if our children become content with less. In the Old Testament, there's a passage, and I I thought about having Tim lead this song, and I thought, well, no, because I want to focus on a different part of it than this song has. But in Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, there's a passage that is known in Judaism as the Shema. The Shema is recited daily by faithful Jews. Think about that. What would you do if we said, okay, we have a passage of Scripture we want you to say every day for the rest of your lives? It would be hard for us to find a passage quite like this. But So Deuteronomy 6, 4-7 says, all right, and I'll, I'll just explain something. One of the things that happens in Judaism, in, in, in Hebrew, is that things, even books, become known by their first word. Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, the word Genesis means in the beginning. Oh, what a surprise. Okay. Uh, Shema means, any guesses? Here. So you want to remember the passage? Here. Oh, Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Uh, Some of the repetitions of this in the New Testament will add the word mind as well to this. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that's a picture of the complete person, isn't it? Heart, soul, mind, strength. That's everything you are. So love God with everything you are and everything you have. But then look what it goes on. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Okay, the heart is the center of the person. It's who we are. Not the organ, but the person. So it's to be on your hearts. And I'll look how it goes on. Impress them on your children. Not just you. But teach your children. Well, how and when are you going to do that? Look at this. Talk about them. See, your children, talk about them. When? When you sit at home. When you walk along the road. When you lie down. When you rise up. Isn't that powerful? 
Now, one of the things that we don't have that the world had until fairly recently in, in our history is that fathers worked at home and the children got to work with their father. And so they saw dad doing what we call the chores, right? They saw how dad took responsibility for the livestock. They saw how he looked after the house. They saw all of these things. They saw what happened when dad hit his finger with a hammer. Oh. They saw how dad handled adversity, difficulty. They saw how he faced challenges. And so this makes a whole lot more sense when you see the passage talking about uh, walking along the road when you lie down, when you rise up. You know, because kids were there and they saw. Today we have to be more, and, the, and the, the, the word we use a lot today is the word intentional. We have to be more intentional about our parenting and about our, our teaching and what we do with our children. So, what talk and think about the idea of teaching, training, and modeling. So, the Shema, basically, to place, it, it talks about the place that God has in us. It's first. All of our heart, soul, strength, and our mind. Uh, that's our priority. But then the place we have in our family's life. You know, that we are connected with them and they are connected with us. And so to teach, impress as we walk, talk, lie down, get up. Um, so the power of example, the demonstrated discipleship. I've coined a, a term here, but I think it's important for fathers to have that sense. That if we are disciples, and we as Christians, we are disciples of Christ. We are followers of Christ. We are learning from him. We are developing to be like him. And we want to demonstrate discipleship, what that means to our children. So that God and Christ is our main priority. So I want to ask the question, what do our children see in us? And I want to tell you a little bit about my father. And some of you know that uh, I'm talking about my adoptive father. I was adopted from fairly shortly after birth. And my father was... At that time, uh, an officer in the U.S. Navy in World War II, he was a, what was called a naval aviator. He flew airplanes off of aircraft carriers in the war. By the time I came along, he was uh, an officer on a big aircraft carrier. He had led a squadron of planes, and then he became the air officer on the, on the aircraft carrier. And then he reached the point where they, the Navy moved him to Newport, Rhode Island to be a, uh, on the staff of the U.S. Naval War College. So the responsibility that Dad had, and he never talked to me about his job. You know, I was a little boy. I wanted to know, what do you do, Dad? <laughs> and I remember going to his office in the War College, and he had this great big huge safe that was labeled top secret. Nothing gets a kid's interest more than telling them that it's top secret and you can't know what's in there. 
Dad was busy. But you know what? I never heard my dad say, I'm too busy. And that became really important when it came to church. Because despite this major career in the Navy, we were always involved in small congregations. So there in Newport, except for one short period of time, we didn't have a preacher. And on Saturday evenings, my dad was sitting at the dining room table with papers and books spread out all over. And he was working, getting ready for the adult Bible class and or the sermon for church the next day. And so when I think about my dad, that's the picture I have of a man who's ready to do everything he could to help the church, to help other Christians in his service to God. You think that had an impact and an imprint on me? So what do our children see in us? Well, I'll tell you another story. From when I was young, kindergarten, after church, we were meeting in a VFW hall. We rented a facility. And, and many of the guys after church would step out onto the front porch, the front steps, and smoke. This is a different era, right? And they'd be there smoking. So as a little guy, I went and got in our car, pushed in the cigarette lighter, got it hot, and put it up to my lips. Not a good idea. I was following the example of other guys at church. And I've got to admit that at that point, dad and mom both smoked too. When I was in my early teens and they found a cigarette in my mouth, they both quit. Because they realized the effect that their example was having on me. So I want to raise the question seriously, what do our children see in us? Is church a hobby? a pastime, a diversion? Or is it more meaningful than that? Are we really engaged with our faith and God's Word? Do they see us with the Word? Do they see us studying? Do they see us learning? Do they see us growing? Hopefully through the course of our lives. And one of the things that I, I also realized that over the years I saw my dad grow in some incredible ways. Dad ultimately, when I got to about, about junior high school, grade seven, from that point on, dad, because they still moved around a little bit, dad served as an elder in three different congregations and they had moved to North Carolina and the elders there wanted him to join the eldership there too, but had not reached that point. Dad was the kind of man that was recognized for his character, his faith, his knowledge, his leadership, his spiritual leadership. Do our children see a consistency of our values and our actions? 
You know, there's an expression some people say, do as I say, not as I do. But don't our children follow what we're doing? They put on our shoes. They emulate us. My mother used to like to tell the story about how when I was a toddler, I would stand at the coffee table and I would pick up the ashtray. Remember, they smoked. Pick up the ashtray and I would bow my head, go, no, 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 no. And then pass it around. I was playing Lord's Supper. Children copy what they see. What happens when our children copy us? We need to be, you know, sometimes when we talk about preaching and sharing and other things, some people take that to mean, yap, 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 yap at everybody. No, it's not yapping at people. It's being a living sermon. It's being an example of being the pace car, of wearing shoes you want filled. So that people can see that. Do our children see us having, as fathers, an active role in the work and ministry of the church? I think kids need the privilege of seeing their dad in leadership roles. Even something as simple as leading a prayer, doing a reading, presiding of the Lord's Supper. It has an imprint an impression. Now, assuming that you're not living at home, the opposite of what you're trying to do here. The kids will recognize that and they will hate you for your hypocrisy. And you know what? Kids have a powerful detector of hypocrisy. They see it. They may never say it, but they see it and they know it. One of the things that I've seen over the years is children who've grown up in, quote, supposedly a church home, who've grown up hating the church. Why? Because of the mixed message between the words and the values and actions in the home. To see our roles in public and personal worship. You know, one of the things about faith is it brings us to step outside our comfort zones. Sometimes guys have said to me, I'm not comfortable being up there. You know what? I'm not comfortable being up here either. People are always surprised by that. They think, oh, you're just so natural up there. You're just, you're having a great time. I'm scared out of my wits. My personality is such that I'm an introvert, and I'd rather be sitting quietly by myself, but I feel like, like, like Paul says, I must do this. I want to step outside my comfort zone to do what I can to help encourage, teach, strengthen, empower other people. That's you. And if I can do something to challenge you, then I'll go outside my comfort zone. But the question for us as fathers is, will we do that? Will we let our kids see us grow to do things we have never done before? 
it's an important lesson for us to think about what we are and what we do as fathers. But I think also, because there's an application to all of us as Christians, either as, as mothers as well, or as part of those who may not have families, but who are involved in other ways in helping to support, encourage, who are a presence, the aunties, the uncles, whatever role you may have, is to help raise and shape our children. Now, this is not a lesson designed to draw people who are not Christians to think about that, but yet we do always want uh, to think about what our relationship with God is. And if there is some way that we can help you with that, uh, you can talk with me, talk with Miles, you can talk with uh, one of the other elders. Let's stand as we sing.